What is going on, everybody? What is happening? And welcome to the first official self-quarantined episode of The Life of. Hope everyone is dodging the Rona out here. The Rona is here, and I am glad you are as well. This is your first time listening. Welcome to The Life of. This is the podcast that answers the question, you may know what I do, but do you really know me? I want to say shout out to everybody who has subscribed and commented and rated. I really, really appreciate it, man. We just launched last week and I got so much feedback from people on how much they love the podcast episodes with Donnell and Bishop Joe Peoples. If you haven't already, go ahead and check that out as well. But thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're first time listening, go ahead and subscribe. It don't cost you nothing. Just go ahead and do it. I am your host, Kason Wilson. If you feel so inclined, go ahead and follow me on social media at The Life of K-A-Y. That is The Life of K-A-Y. Have some amazing things coming up and I want you to know about it. Go ahead and follow me. So the Rona's here. My wife is as well. Babe, you want to say anything to the people? Stay clean. Stay safe. Oh, hello, everybody. All I want to say. Okay. Wash your hands. Well, basically, all the things you should have been doing before the Rona hit. But we're not judging. We're here. The Rona is here and I'm, uh, man, it has, ta- it has taken the world by storm, literally. It's crazy, man. Uh, shout out to all the artists and the workers out there who get to stay home. Some people are loving it. Some people are missing out on some money. I actually wanted to say, was excited to come on here today and announce that uh, I was p- going to be performing next week on the first ever Stellar Awards comedy show. And man, the Rona done took it. The Rona took it. The Rona took the show away. Uh, it was Griff and uh, Marcus D. Wiley and Small Fire, Akintunde, and Alton Walker, like a whole bunch of amazing comedians. But they have postponed the Stella Awards. Uh, the Laughing Skull Comedy Festival in Atlanta, I was going to announce that again this week. But they have postponed that. The shows in D.C., those are postponed. So needless to say, when I see that Rona, when I see the coronavirus, it will definitely catch these hands. So shout out to all the artists out there. Maybe it is time for us all to find some residual income. So when things like this happen, we are prepared. But man, let's just get to the podcast today. That's enough about me. Let's get to this podcast because a lot of people may not know this. A lot of you do, but I attended Howard University in Washington, D.C., historically black college university. I love my HBCU. Shout out to all of y'all. But I was in Howard, was at Howard University in Washington, D.C., so... And it took me seven years to get my undergrad degree. And uh, you can all hold your jokes. I can hear them through the podcast. Keep them to yourself. Uh, But uh, (laughs) so I was in D.C. for a long time, needless to say. And I got to learn a lot about the D.C. and the DMV culture. For those who don't know about the DMV, that is D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And for those who are in the DMV, the D.C. area, you know the D.C. culture. You know terms like mumbo sauce and go-go and the big chair and obey seasoning. Like, this all means something to you. And everyone knows the names like Marion Barry and Chuck Brown and Dottie Simpson. The names go on and on and on of people who are synonymous with the D.C. culture. Well, today, on this episode of The Life Of, I am excited um, to highlight someone that I consider to be synonymous with those names. Like, when you hear this name, It is synonymous with the D.C. area. You know her because she has over 25 years in radio. You hear her daily on Praise 104.1. She is, in my opinion, the voice of D.C. gospel. But what you may not know is she's more than a radio personality. She's a dope wife and a dope mom and a big sister to so many in the D.C. area. She's a big mentor. Like if, If you've heard of a lot of the groups 
or a lot of the music, gospel music, especially that has come out of D.C., um, this lady has had so much to do with it. She mentors artists, breaks a lot of artists. If you've heard any live recordings in D.C., she's pretty much hosted all of them. She's one of the most selfless people that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And after this interview, I really realized that she's hilarious and just a really cool person to talk to. So I'm excited today that we're all going to learn more about the life of Cheryl Jackson. I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is amazing. No, thank you for doing this. This is amazing. I want to start here because I think that you are literally one of the only people that I know in any market who, I don't know if it's your life's work, but you literally make time to help people who are just starting out. Like, I don't know anybody who doesn't call you big sis or auntie (laughs) in D.C. Like, you literally make an effort to help people along. Is that something that you've always done? Is that intentional or just kind of happened that way? I think it kind of happened, but, you know, the business is so fickle and it's hard. And when you've been doing it as long as I've been doing it and you've been in the seat where you can make or break a talent, you know what I mean? It kind of causes you to kind of reevaluate how you invest in people and watch people. For me, being a program director, I took it really, really seriously with regards to the music that we were sharing and playing and then even the person, right? Because when you've met these people and you've been a part of their lives and like you just kind of said— getting to know them is deeper than the music and you want to make sure they win. So with certain artists, I think it started off there when I was programming that certain artists you really wanted to play, you knew the intent of their heart, you knew what they wanted to do, but they just didn't make the cut with regards to the production elements or lyrically or getting started. And so I wanted to give sound advice, I think, to people who entrusted us to play their music or wanted us to play their music. And, you know, it's really hard to be top 40 or get on a playlist, but I wanted to kind of help them along to get there so we can play you. It started there. And then I think people started seeing that. And I really believe that I'm called to this. It's not just profession or occupation that God strategically placed me here for purpose. So I want to make sure that I'm a good steward of that. Do most people listen? Yeah, they do. And when they don't, you know, (laughs) and I'm not saying I'm the Bible of it or the be all because I'm not a musician. I'm not an artist myself, but I am radio and I do know what a hit sounds like. I do know what they're up against, because what people don't understand is that radio is not the platform just to present your music like it is business. It is business. It's ratings and revenue. So in order for a radio station to win, we have to have great ratings. And if we have great ratings, then they can sell us at great prices. So your music is literally content for us to get great ratings. So if you can imagine playing a J.J. Harrison Youthful Praise and then playing a Fred Hammond and then playing somebody local, you stick out like a sore thumb if you can't measure up to what they've invested in the top 40. And that's why a lot of programmers won't introduce hits. They'll wait till it is a hit and then they'll play it because it's content that makes us successful in radio. It is a business. It's not just a platform to expose your music. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's interesting. I never really thought about that. But I never, 
thought about what content is from your side. Yeah. It always just seems like the machine. Yeah, people are like, we're anointed. I have this niece. I have this nephew. They're anointed or I'm anointed and I know God gave me this song. He may have, but is it going to bring me ratings? Like, are people going to tune in because of it or are they going to turn away because it sounds like garbage? Yeah. That production part is official. It's official. You know who I really respect and people laugh at it all the time? Do you know Crash Cut? No. Listen, mm-hmm. I'm going to introduce you to Crash Cut okay. after this is over. It's literally the worst singer ever. But he invests so much money into his production that I support it every time. I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> Social media, right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Leave on Crash Cut Bennett. I do. I do. I know he who you're talking is, about. I would book him today. <laughs> he takes it seriously. His videos are HD. His production is A1. It sounds terrible. Is he the one that do the happy birthday song? Absolutely. (laughs) He is favorite of God. That man is anointed. I sing that song every time somebody in my family have a birthday. They look at me like I am crazy, but he is giving it 100%. He has a tribute online to John P. Key. Oh my God, I got to find it. It's a tribute to John P. Key and it's literally just him talking through the story of him meeting John P. Key. And I had a chance to interview John P. Key and found out the entire story is true. Like it's a true story. (laughs) I do know who you're talking about now, yeah. Crash Cut is amazing. (laughs) But I say it jokingly, but he takes himself seriously in a way that even some people who, you know how you see people and you're like, man, if you just put more into what you did, you should be further along. Yeah. And it's such a hard conversation to have with people because it's almost personal. Yeah. But it's like, hey, stop cutting corners. You have something great. Do you find that a lot? I do. I do. And I think that people only know what to do with what they have. Like, you have to learn the business. You have to learn what it takes, right? So oftentimes... Like Crash Cuts, he may have the production, but do he have the lyrics? And the, and he's on not key. Is he on key? Like, not at all. Never. It has to be everything. Not it's one not time. just that. <laughs> so yeah, and songs are people's babies. Like this is their passion project. So in every workshop that I'm at or wherever people are asking advice about radio, I'm literally giving them this whole spiel of how radio works and the business of radio. Your passion project is literally just content for us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's learn more about the life of Cheryl Jackson. Where does it all start? Like, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like it's Marion Barry, the big chair, and then Cheryl Jackson. <laughs> and then, like, Chuck Brown. Like, it's like, I feel like those are, like, D.C. things. Wow. Like, are you, like, a D.C. I am. at the core? Like, I am. I'm so D.C. Like, right, from the beginning, give it to us. Like, where's uh, the start? Okay, so I grew up here in D.C. in Uptown, D.C., which is Northwest, Upper Northwest. Okay. So, literally blocks away from the radio station here is where I grew up. Uptown D.C. has been known to be kind of like the upper echelon, the uppity of the the parts of D.C., right? (laughs) So I kind of grew up in that corridor. I am the baby girl of Clarence and Estelle Allen. Real old names, right? Clarence and Estelle. You don't find many Estelles and Clarence's. And Clarence's like, my dad's anymore. name is Clarence, too. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, my mom's nickname is Baby, though. They Everybody calls her Baby. She's 81, and she's still called Baby. But so I'm the youngest. My brother is seven years older. Seven years older, so I'm spoiled rotten. <laughs> like spoiled rotten. And we grew up with my grandparents in the home. And so my aunt and older cousin all grew up in our house. But I was always the youngest for a long, long time. And the youngest grandkid for a long time. So yeah, spoiled rotten. My dad passed when I was 12, which was really, really devastating. My mom was a single mother, but just overcompensated. So 
even more rotten, right, after that. And that's it. You know, grew up in the top of my class, always popular, always life of the party, drug kingpin, girlfriend, you know, because that was big in D.C. Wait, what? You just going to... Gonna... Yeah, we're going to skate over that. Okay, no, right. no, I'm joking. No. <laughs> no, really, just grew up in that era of crack cocaine yeah. in the D.C. area, Rayful Edmonds and that whole crew of people kind of infiltrated uptown. That's where he kind of hid out. But there was a lot of kingpins in the area. So yeah, my boyfriend was that when I went to college. And literally going to college saved my life because although I was baptized in the Baptist church, developing relationship with God really happened on the eastern shore of Maryland while I was in school. So that's where my relationship developed and God changed my life and majored in communications at Salisbury University. Got my first job right out of college working for a non-commercial radio station there owned by Bishop Bishop Copeland, which is Josh Copeland's. Yeah. Josh of Sunday Best is his dad. So he's like family because Josh was a little boy when I worked for his father and who gave me opportunity in radio. Came home. After a while, I stayed in Salisbury for 10 years, though. I loved it there. A little small town, but I met my husband there. I met my boyfriend at the time, and his uncle was my pastor. So his family became my family, and I loved it there. And then coming back home, I didn't want to do radio. I wasn't making any money. But my pastor, the late Ricky McCrimmon, was a recording artist, and he knew I did radio. And actually, long story short, I gave my air check to Miss Hughes, and she hired me. Like, she called me to work for her Baltimore Whoa. affiliate. Yeah. And I worked at Baltimore and then PGC and then now Praise 104.1. So I've worked in the DMV my entire career from the Eastern Shore to Baltimore to here for the whole 30 years. Yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm. All right. So I do want to go back. Mm-hmm. So what was the turning point, do you think, from going from D.C. to college? Like, was it an event that kind of led you to take your relationship with God more seriously or was it just kind of just natural maturation process? No, it was a big thing. It was a thing. Because I had, you know, opportunity. I was accepted at Howard. I accepted at a school in, in Ohio and Salisbury. And I chose Salisbury because I thought I wanted education. I went to predominantly black schools all my life, inner city schools all my life. I kind of wanted a different experience, right? And I got that because Salisbury is small, but it's very racist, you know, and it's a PWA is not a HBCU, so culture shocked and that kind of thing. But the turning point of relationship with me was coming from the city and going to this small school. We blacks were like one percent at this school, but we were the cool kids, and we were from the city, so people followed me. And ironically enough, I had a girlfriend named Deidre, and Deidre actually attended Pastor Copeland's church, their deliverance church, very Pentecostal and strict. And she always came to school in skirts and, but she had pants underneath because she was afraid, but she was raised not to wear makeup. And I kind of changed all of that. Like I was like, girl, you fine, you cute. So I'm making her up. We cap a sweethearts, we partying and all of that. But I was also the president of my choir. (laughs) So of the choir there. So yeah. So long and short, she ended up going to a midnight musical on a memorial weekend. I ended up coming home. But at that service, she rededicated her life to the Lord because I literally pulled her out of church. Like, you don't take all that. You don't have to do all that. Boop, boop, boop. And she ended up getting rededicating her life at that midnight musical. She jumped on the road from the musical with a friend to go to Six Flags in Jersey and they were in a fatal car accident. Wow. And she died. And I had to think about that process because I always had 
this love for Christ, but I never knew how to develop relationship. You know, the church I grew up in, it, you know, as long as you were actively involved in church, you are not sure you're in a choir, you were ever, but nobody really taught me to hone into relationship with the Lord. And that scared me because had she followed me, she'd have followed herself right to hell following me because I said it didn't take all of that. At her funeral is when I rededicated my life to the Lord and really became serious about it, really became serious about it. And at her funeral, like most of us from that choir ended up being evangelists, bishops, pastors, just really ingrained in the kingdom because her death really shook us up and really kind of made us focus on this new relationship with God. Yeah, it's actually a central theme that I never really knew about, but I know my mom lost her dad when she was 11, and she always talks about how much we don't really prepare people for how to grieve or how it works. Because people just, someone had a quote like, the thing that changed families the most is death and weddings Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or births or whatever it is. And it's just so crazy how it affects it. And that effect is such an amazing change in your life. And ironically enough that you say that because when my father died, because I got baptized young, like, you know, in the Baptist faith, they want your kids. Like, soon as you they get to understand. They throw you in at four. That's it. Listen. A, B, C, D, Jesus. Soon as, you, <laughs> as soon as you understand, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, yeah. you take getting baptized. So in the Baptist church, you kind of have to learn the whole concept of salvation. And we had to take a test and everything at the Baptist church that I belong to to make sure we knew what salvation was and so I knew and always had this relationship with God as a kid but I think when my father died it was a turning point because when my father died I was so angry you know I was angry and bitter and oh man I was like not to be played with because I was fighting and just disruptive for no reason you know I was just angry and so I really kind of I think detached myself from wanting relationship with God until then yeah yeah I think that I felt like if as long as I go to church and do what they asked me to do in these organizations then I'm good but I never really tried to make that a personal relationship until then yeah so are you dating your husband this whole time no, I met my husband. I knew his family before I knew him because he's military, right? Oh. So going to Salisbury, I started going to his, after Deidre passed, I started going to his uncle's church, which is a family church. And that's in like Princess Anne, Maryland, which is even the smaller town yeah, in Salisbury. Yeah, I've here a long time. I did not know that was a city. <laughs> <laughs> Princess Anne, Maryland is where the church was. And his family kind of went to that church. But when Dwight came out, I literally graduated in December. And when he came home about September, that my last semester of school, and everybody's like, yeah, you got me, Dwight. I knew his best friend. Of course, everybody in church knew his parents, knew his siblings, all of that. And so, you know, we met and we first started dating like December at a friend's birthday. Like I invited him to my house. We gave a party and I was like, hey, come on over, you know, for the party we're going to do for Ed. And, you know, that's when we really began to, that was like our first official date. And so he was actually, if had I graduated on time, I'd have missed him. I graduated four and a half years. See, won't God make so you late for a purpose? <laughs> Come on now. I graduated on time, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have met him. But yeah, I was there extra semester and actually met him. And we started dating like December. My graduation was right there in December. And I stayed in Salisbury because I got a job on campus and ended up getting this radio job. So the whole time of my radio career is when we dated. So did you guys know immediately? I did. Yeah, I did. I think he did too, but he was afraid. Our courtship is a whole story within itself, but he was afraid because he came home 
and knew that he left somebody there pregnant, right? So he had a kid on the way. So he wasn't even looking for relationship. And we ended up dating and it got serious real quick and it scared him because he was like, I just got home from the military. Like, I'm really trying to get my footing. I don't know. And right now I'm saved. So I'm like, if we dating and it's serious, we need to be married, you know, kind of situation. And he wasn't having that. So we ended up breaking up for a period, maybe a few months. I think it was literally like six months we broke up because the relationship after a year and a half, He was like, this is just going too fast. We broke up and he ended up fathering another kid. And when we got back together, he had to tell me. We found out then that he was fathering another kid. And so by this time, I'm done. I'm like, I'm good. And Holy Spirit was like, I told you this was your husband. And I'm glad I have relationship with God and I listen because he is the best thing that happened to me. He is amazing. 23 years in, I've got two bonus babies and two babies by him. And it's amazing. It's amazing. He's one of the coolest guys Isn't ever. He cool? <laughs> I don't know if I've heard him say five words in life, but I feel like we've talked. Like, yeah, he's real smooth. He's a bass player. So he has that persona. What? Yeah, he plays bass. Wait, what? Yeah, he plays bass. His whole family is musical. His brother oh. plays keys. His father's the quartet singer. You know, <laughs> yes. his sister sings. He has this whole musical background. But yeah, he's a bass player personified. And he's introverted, but very powerful and wise. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I kind of need that because I'm always on 10. So yeah. I, need, I need him. You know, yeah. God knows what you need. <laughs> so another thing that you said that I wanted to talk about, I feel like I grew up in an old school Baptist church as well. And I think that there are just certain parts of my life that I just, it's memories that it's a certain small contingency of people where if someone started singing, holy, 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 like the little <laughs> small church kid in me smiles. I mean, I grew up on usher board, doing trustee Everything. meetings, <laughs> Bible studies, prayer meetings. I think that there were certain lessons that I learned from just being there like there's just certain things that you learn mm-hmm. you learn service you learn respect like there's just a certain air that you have for elders if mm-hmm, you grew up mm-hmm. in like an old school Baptist church mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't have like nowadays elders are like 36 you yeah. know what I'm saying like it's, <laughs> right. we ain't even elders going to prom now it's like <laughs> like where all the old people at right. what lessons do you see that a lot of the maybe younger generations or you know there's a shift I believe kind of happening in church do you think that there are lessons that the old old school church that they need to learn and then what do you think are the good progressions that we're starting to make yeah I think that first off I have a heart for the elderly and I think that's probably the era you're talking about because you kind of have respect for those who are wise and wisdom and that kind of thing so I gleaned from I mean like I said I grew up my grandmother and my grandfather in the house so I literally believe I have her mantle because my grandmother was holy. You know, she was like the church mother, right? And so there's a respect level of that. And I think that for the older generation and the older church, I think they just did things because the pastor said so, right? Obedience was just in them. And I think growing up, it was that era that it's because I said so. Like, you don't ask why, you just do what your elders ask you to do. And so I think that, one of the things that we find in the newer church is that they're asking questions. 
And I like that. I like that. I mean, yeah, I do believe obedience is better than sacrifice, but I like the fact that we now know why we're saying what we're saying. Before it was like, why do we speak in tongues? Or how do you speak in tongues? Or is it because of salvation? What's the question? And people would be like, it's just what God said. We This is what we do for the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Like, you don't question it. You just do it, right? But now we're asking why. Like, why? Does that bring me closer? Is that salvation? And it makes you dig deeper and really, I believe, have a deeper relationship with God. And so that's what I see the progression of churches. And then to go back to the old church, I think what we lose is faith too, when we really want to intellectualize everything, because I know my grandmother just had this unwavering faith. Like it was just like, I believe God and I believe God, just bottom line, right? So it don't look like it. It doesn't, you know, we're still asking God, why you ain't going to heal me? Why should I? And my grandmother's like, if he do, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. It's just faith. I just believe him. By faith, I believe him. And so I think we have to take some of the old and really begin to hone it into the new. So even though you might know or have the intellect, there's still something beyond the intellect that God wants from us because he doesn't necessarily make sense. He is sense. He's God, right? So it's not about our intellect. It's not about us moving because we know. Faith means I'm moving because I don't know. So we do have to have a level of intelligence and understanding of what we do and why we do it. But then when walking in it, we also have to have this unmovable faith. We have to be able to mesh the two, I think, for the success of the church. My Aunt Willamay was the church mother. She was a founder. Willamay is a good name. Willamay Cobbs. <laughs> she was the founding church mother. She God let her live for 106 years. Wow. She was born March the 2nd, 1910. Wow. She passed away a couple years ago. But before my wife Tiffany and I started taking it seriously, she pulled me aside. And she said, and this is one thing I think we're missing. We're like church mother, church mothers. Mm-hmm. The first thing she looked me in my eyes, she said, oh, son, you're fat. Um, I'm willing to. Yes. Because they're very truthful. They do not care (laughs) about your feelings. That's the one thing I think we're missing. It's like eggshell, this eggshell transparency. Them church mothers do not care. You can cry and be broken inside. Mm -hmm. She said, son, you a fat. Nobody's going to want all of that on top of them. That's exactly her quote to me. I will admit. And I have lost weight since then. (laughs) Thank you, I will admit. Do you have a church mother story or do you pretty much just get along with all of them and they just leave you alone? No, you do have church mother story. I know going to Salisbury because it's such a rural area and being introduced to the Kojic church because my uncle's church was a Kojic church. I grew up in a Baptist church, so we could go in hot pants if we went, no, not hot pants, <laughs> but you know, we could go with skirts above our knee and we could go in full face makeup and we could have earrings down to, but they weren't having it. You can wear earrings, you can wear any of that, if, especially if you were serving, right, in the church. And I went with all of that with my whole city self I went in there you know what I mean like what fly like what you know and the church mothers weren't having it they yeah. hated me they was <laughs> draping me you know what I mean I would come, I would come have a seek prayer cloth across the lap curtain immediately listen yeah. standing up in worship I'm in the choir they full up written a skirt around me you know what I mean passing me safety pins you know <laughs> Yeah, I have those stories. I do. 
Yeah, and then the church mother where I am now at Capitol Temple, Mother McCrimmon, she was sweetly saved, though. Like, she wasn't a mean church mother. So she would be blunt with what she said, but she would say it with a smile. So if you came in and your arms were out, she'd come and hug you and be tapping your arm. Bless you, baby. Bless you. Put on a shawl when you come next week, all right? Yeah. God bless you. You know, one of those would be like, did she just tell me? Yeah. Yeah, so she was one of those. She wasn't mean and bitter, but she would get you straight. And the awesome thing is my kids, grew up with. They called her grandma because they grew up with her. And Kayla, I believe, has a lot of her ways. And Kayla's only 20, but she's modest because, you know, it's certain things. She loved Mother McCrimmon's prayer life and faith. Like when my pastor Rick passed away, and this is her son, and we're like still hurt and mourning. They drape in the church. She came and pulled all that stuff off and was like, morning time is over. This was not Ricky's church. This is God's church. That's someone ingrained in the ministry. That's somebody ingrained in church. That's someone with relationship, unwavering faith, right? She breathed worship. Like you could literally be in a car and just hear her saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Like under her breath, everything was a worship. Everything was praise. And and I want to be that kind of church mother when I get older. You know what? I want to be that sweetly saved mother. I want to be someone close to God to where every breath is a worship, is every breath is praise. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So a little segment here we call Get to Know You. Because we could talk about all that stuff, but we just regular people at the end of the day. All right, cool. So let's go. What's a show or movie that makes you laugh to this day? Show or movie coming to America. Really? Yes. It has to be one that makes me like laugh out loud. Favorite scene? Sexual chocolate. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Okay. Okay. If God gave you a chance right now to just be 100% in one area, would you choose first to be a better mother, a better wife, or a better entrepreneur? Ah, if he gave me what? A 100% chance. So you can be the best, you can be the perfect mother, wife, or entrepreneur. Which one would you choose? I believe wife. Yeah. I believe wife. Yeah. You say until death do us part. And I want to be able to be that until I die. Yeah. So yeah, entrepreneur will come. Kids will go, but yeah. What makes you more nervous, hosting a radio show, hosting a live concert, or preparing a sermon? Preparing a sermon, 100%. Really? Yeah. That sacred desk is no joke for me. Yeah. I want to make sure that I'm saying what he wants me to say. From a concert, you can kind of exhort and glean from the songs and what's being happening, the atmosphere. But then to specifically hear from God, to give to the people of God what he's saying is real, real to me. And that I get the bubble guts. I get all of that. I get real nervous when you know, it comes. You know, I yeah. always wanted to post about yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. The preach word. Absolutely. Do you remember the hardest sermon for you to preach? Or do you remember your first one? I don't remember the first one. I don't. Let me tell you why. Because when in Salisbury, my spiritual father would at get any given time would just you had church every day almost. Like so Sunday we had two services. We had Sunday morning, but we had YPWW service, which was like the young people service. And he would call on any one of us at any given time to give the word. So I think the first one I've ever had was from that. And I just don't remember what that day or sermon was because he would call on us instantly. You mean in the service? Yeah. On Sunday morning, he'll be like, tonight Cheryl Jackson's giving, or Cheryl Allen was my main name. Cheryl's giving us the word tonight. She's going to prepare and she's going to present tonight at YPWW. And that's the first time you're finding out. That's the first time I'm finding out. So all of us listen at the end of service, you can imagine all the young people like ducking and like not trying to be seen and just really like yeah. you don't know who he gonna call and he only really called those who he believed God had called to the preach word he was the first to me to say I believe you have this gift this gift to preach and Kojic they don't tell you that to women but yeah he was the one and so I don't know the first message but I do know it was doing a YPWW service did you know 
I did. Yeah, when I was wilding, I knew God has special plans for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's the last show you binged watch? Orange is the New Black. Really? Yeah. Because I didn't believe the hype ahead of time. Like when everybody was watching it, I didn't believe the hype. So I wanted to binge watch it before the last season. So Orange is the New Black. It was Mm -hmm. worth it. It's worth it Because now I need to binge watch The last season I'm only on episode two I think now So yeah What's the perfect temperature For the house to be on And who (laughs) is the biggest threat To changing the thermostat Listen You know Dwight Is a man of many words But he runs this house Honey (laughs) He runs this house And whatever he set The temperature at Is where it stays When he walks in the house (laughs) The first place he goes Is a thermostat (laughs) To make sure nobody Changed this thermostat From 74 That's where it it stays At 74 On our house I don't care In the winter If you cold Get a blanket In the summer If you hot Oh well You know what I mean Get a fan Make adjustments But 74 is So Dwight is that guy Yeah Anybody in the house hotter or colder? Like who's? It's me because I think I'm always hot. So I'm always wrapped in a blanket or yeah. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. I get it. (laughs) I get it. So you're coming up on 30 years next year. 2020 will be 30 years. What's your proudest accomplishment? Oh, wow. I think the proudest accomplishment was programming Heaven 1580. Yeah, because I had nobody telling me what I needed to do. So I was able to develop one of the first inspiration stations in the country. Yeah, talk more about that. Some people don't know. Yeah, so you know we now have gospel and inspiration stations. And gospel stations are more found on the AM band and you find where they're playing more traditional choir, quartet kind of situation. But God gave me this vision, literally in a revival, to be able to erase that line of CCM music, holy hip-hop, because the holy hip-hop community really rests on the CCM side, which is what pop is to R&B, right? So you have R&B and you have pop, but CCM would be the pop of gospel and then black gospel would be gospel music. And so I wanted to erase that line because DC was made up of that. So we called it an urban inspiration station, urban meaning inner city. And I wanted our station to be indicative to the Christian platform or landscape of DC. So you had CCM churches here. You've got the Adventist headquarters here. You've got Pentecostal churches. You've got big mega churches. You have all of that. So I wanted the station to sound like that. And I also know that because because I have relationship with artists from all genres of music, that there are R&B singers, there are hip hop artists that love Jesus, but they sing R&B. And so on every record, you'll find an inspirational hit. And I wanted to be able to play that on our station, which is what made us a little different from the traditional gospel station. And it was a risk because people thought, you know, oh, she's not churchy or they worldly or whatever. And how's that going to play? But it really played well here in D.C. And then people started following it. And now you have inspiration stations across the country. Yeah. So I think that's probably my greatest accomplishment. Yeah. Okay. Last three questions. Because you're just very busy, very, 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 very busy woman. So let's see. If gospel artists, new gospel artists had to, they were required, like the Cheryl Jackson School of Gospel Music. (laughs) If they were required to take one class before you can record, before you can go public with your ministry, you have to take one 
class? What would the class be? From my perspective, because I can give you perspective from media. You know, for artists, there are a number of perspectives that they have to look at. You know, artist development. They've got to look at, of course, honing their skill, being able to sing. Because people don't understand that the best singers in the world still take voice lessons, still are perfecting their gift. But my expertise wouldn't be any of that. It would be marketable. It was how can you become more marketable? How can you become more appealing to the masses? And I think that's what my boot camp would be about. It would be how to be able to present your message across the board so that you can get airplay, so that you can be exposed on television, so that you can represent the kingdom. So yeah, I would be that person that teaches them how to be a little more marketable, their presence, their appearance, their engagement, the song presentation, the product. All of that would be probably from my boot camp. I know Bishop Joel one time said from the pulpit, he said, sometimes we try to use grace where there should be strategy. Ah. And I just always... I just love him. Yeah, he's, he just drops stuff like that all yeah, the time. Yeah, like, and it just moves on. Like, like, it's annoying sometimes. Because yeah. he just says it. <laughs> and it's like a matter of factly. Right. Like, you, we could have started the organ That's right Dwight there. That's Dwight, too. Because Dwight is wise. Like, his favorite channel is like the National Geographic channel and stuff. Like, he loves that stuff. But he drops these wisdom nuggets and then keep going. And you'd be like, what did you just... Where'd that come from? Yeah, yeah. He's the brains in the operation. But, yeah, you have to have strategy. You have to be on purpose about ministry. God will gift you with it, but there has to be strategy. What do you think people are missing? And Do you think people are just not coming up with strategy or they're just not being creative enough? Or? I think we're just holding on to yesteryear. You know, I think we're just holding on to, especially in our format, whereas this is how Kirk did it or this is how they did it back in the day. Everything has evolved. We are not just selling records at our car anymore. We're not selling records in the record store anymore. They're digital imprints and they're now streaming um, services and yeah, terrestrial radio and that kind of thing to get your music played. But a lot of people are becoming successful without terrestrial radio because there are other outlets. There's other opportunities. And we have to be able to be a little bit more mainstream than just appealing to the church. Well, I'm just called to the church. That's fine. Then just be called to the church. Be marketable for the church, right? But if you're called for the masses, you got to be ready for national television. You got to be ready for national digital platforms. You got to be looking at the gamut of opportunity that you can be and being able to expose the gospel. So yeah, strategy is it. You've got grace. God's already given us that, but you need strategy. Thank you, Bishop. That's dope. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's a, he's a great dude. Mm-hmm. All right, so last question. We asked everybody this question. So you have to make your all-time concert. You have to have a comedian host it. <laughs> okay. You have an opening act that's 10 to 15 minutes, a feature act that's 25 to 30, and then a headliner that's unlimited. It could be any genre, and you can use anyone, dead or alive. Oh... Wow. Okay. I'll have you host it. No, you know, you don't have to do this. No, I will because, yeah, because you get it because you get both sides of things, right? Like I could have Griff. I could have, I don't have relationship with a lot of comedians, but yeah, I think I'd have you do it because I really like what you do. I like what you bring to the table and it'll be opportunity for you to host a Cheryl Jackson event. So we got to make that happen at some point. (laughs) Yes, please. So yeah, you and then the 15 minute opening act any genre. Any genre. Anyone dead or alive. I mean, you can go anywhere you want with this. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is deep thought right here. It's deep thought. PJ Morton Ooh. would be my opening act. Ooh. Gumbo Unplugged PJ Morton? Yes. Yes. 
It's one of my favorite shows I've ever been to. Yeah, he would be the opening act. And I think the main, and I'm so old school, but the main act would probably be Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. Somebody that has catalog and that's still wholesome, but that we can still listen to today and be like, dang, it takes you back, you know. The band aspect. Yeah. And they can do hour and a half and you still be like, oh, there was a song that I didn't hear. Okay. And then the feature... My feature artist would be Marvin Gaye. Ooh. I'm so old school. Ooh. All right. So Tammy Terrell, Motown Marvin Gaye, or like, I think I want to holler Marvin Gaye. All of that. I want some Tammy Terrell hits. I want the, maybe I'll flip it because maybe he would be the artist before Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. Because PJ and him back to back would be bananas. That's pretty nuts. Right? So you got Current, you got him, and then you got this group that has like a million hits. So PJ, mm -hmm. Marvin Gaye, Mm -hmm. and then Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. I'm paying for that. Right. And I think that all generations would, right? Like, I don't think that's just my generation. I think that's of your generation would appreciate that. I'm surprised by the people my kids know. Like, they love music, music. So they big, like, Marvin Gaye fans, and especially Darren. He's singing all these old heads. Did you play for him growing up? I think my mom probably more so. Yeah, I probably did in the house, but... Not really. Like, I bounce songs off of Darren because he has just a sharp ear. That's my baby. So he has, all of them are musically inclined. My oldest son plays because he reads and studied it, right? My 25-year-old is probably the best musician in the house right now. But Darren is closely behind him because he's been following him for so long. And he's right there with him. So I think that Darren's ear is sharper, you know, he can do trap and he can do all this. He's just a music connoisseur. So I think with those, and it's ironic, I wouldn't have put any gospel artist in there. And I think because I need some coffee beans, because, you know, you hear it all the time, you in it, you're ingrained in it. So I think Earth, Wind & Fire would be my coffee bean to kind of neutralize it. It changes every day. <laughs> Tonight you'll wake up and be right. like, oh, I forgot people. Exactly. I'll tell you this. This is actually some insight for you. On Bishop Joe Peoples' episode, you would never guess who his headliner is. Who's his headliner? I mean, who's the one person that you're like, this isn't even a possibility in life. Wait a minute. They went to like a Barry Manilow concert or something. They are. I remember that. So maybe somebody like that. Like, I don't know who his headliner headliner was. Elvis. Bishop. (laughs) He lost a few cool points. Listen. He loves Elvis. Kappa Alpha Psi, Pastor Bishop. Listen, <laughs> I'm talking about like green, red, and purple sock Bishop. Like he's Elvis. So smooth and swaggy. Like Elvis. Elvis. I cannot call it Elvis. Did he say why? No. No explanation. Because he's just that cool. He doesn't have to. <laughs> I couldn't question it. Like it's, and he's so swaggy. I can't believe Elvis. Okay. It was Luther Vandross and then okay. Elvis. I still can't explain it. I cannot make any sense of it. That's hilarious. What did you, did you just kind of look like? You know how you look at somebody expecting them to like, say like, oh, that was a joke. And then he looked back at me like, next question. And what? And I was like, (laughs) you know what? All right. (laughs) Love you, man. (laughs) Like it was, that was it. I love gospel music and gospel artists. And I'm in that era of, I'm stuck 
in that place where I first was developing relationship with God in those songs from like the Tommies and his, you know, first coming out, Kirk first coming out, Daryl Coley, that era really just kind of made my relationship solidify. But because I'm so ingrained in gospel music, I think those would be the ones I would want. Because like I say, you got, sometimes you just need to smell the coffee beans and hear something different. Who you think you feel comfortable saying can carry on the mantle for the next 15, 20 years? And gospel music? Sure. The next 20 years, JJ for sure, because he lives and breathes this, like without effort. Right? Like he's committed to it. This is what, and I see him evolving and growing, and he writes hits. And if he's not writing them, he has hit writers that will speak his heart. And then let me think of who else that's new. Newer. 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 I'm liking what these worship artists are doing, like Travis and Todd Delaney. I don't think they're one hit wonders or one or two album wonders. I think that they will continue, although Travis is really focusing more on ministry right now. Everybody has a church. Everybody has a church. Everybody. JJ's the last gospel artist without a church. <laughs> Todd don't have one. I don't think Todd will get one either. But I don't know. Who knows? You think JJ will pastor? You know, we'll see. I think so at some point. Wow. You know what? Watching some of the, a lot of what's happening on the Love and Miracles tour, like I see it now. Mm. Oh, because they're working together and yeah, and people following and the impact they have. Well, it's just like that. Plus, I think that one thing I always find interesting is the people who I really believe present their music live. And then those who I think are presenting like a move. Like when, the Love and Miracles tour, he's literally like singing songs and like laying hands on people. I can see it. Got it. It's not just an album yeah, anymore. Yeah, I think he probably would too. Yeah. I think Tasha will be... One to take this music to the next level as well. She's already starting in that, you know, direction. But there was recently, Kirk Franklin did, of course, his Long Live Love tour. And Charlotte, while they were in Charlotte, all the artists that were from that surrounding area that were up and coming honored him. So they gave him like an authentic writing pen. Like it was this trophy they gave him because they were saying his pen is vicious. But it was headed by Tasha Cobbs, Travis Green, Anthony Brown, Leandria, people that kind of lived in the surrounding area, Todd Galberth. It was all of them. And then they had video of people from different parts of the country just kind of saluting him for being like a bridge builder for them. And so I think I see all of those artists kind of taking this to the next level, picking up what Kirk may ever leave off. I think Kirk will be 100 and still dancing and doing Michael Jackson moves, but you know what I mean? To your point, he might be the Marvin Gaye of gospel, yeah. where it's just like every generation, he's going to have mm-hmm. a sound that just like... That people follow. So yeah. I do see that. Yeah. And then because we have so many subgenres within it, we have the choir sounds. Like there are some major choirs that are still coming up, even though the industry tried to quiet them. I do see like choirs resurging now. So you have that choir sound. You have people that are worship artists. And that's the big sound right now for us. But I think that it's bigger than that. Like I think outside of worship, you still have these solo artists like Leandria and these people that are really still 
honing their gifts to be greater and bigger and taking it further. And I love that. And then you have those there. I just came across this guy, PJ Edmonds out of Baltimore that has this Thomas Clay sound kind of situation. And you're starting to see more of them develop and being more creative, finding more creative beings. Donald Lawrence, I think, is like a musical genius because he can explain why he does what he does, right? Like he's on purpose. You know, you know, all his songs that has a hundred lyrics and why he can explain why sonically he does what he does. Too much. Mm -hmm. He's too much of a genius. (laughs) So, all right. So I was in a conversation with Donald Lawrence and he was explaining that Goshen was recorded at the exact same DB level that like Jesus had at the Mount or something. It was just something like, why do you even know that, Donald Mm -hmm. Lawrence? It's the sound of praise. It's the exact sound of praise is what Goshen is. It's that place of the exact sound of praise that will hit God. So you create a song and a sound that will go directly to him. And so we're thinking, Goshen, what is that all about? But he has to explain his song because that's the title of the record, of the decibel. That is the exact sound of praise. If Donald Lawrence opened up a school of music, the one thing... He's a professor, though. You know, he works for in Chicago. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I yeah. get it. Yes. Yeah. Sir the Baptist was his student, so they'd collab because he was like a prodigy of Donald. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And now this is... We're going to end on this. But the one thing I think that doesn't happen enough is that the geniuses of gospel aren't noticed as geniuses of music. And they are, but it's the way that the music industry is set up is you're successful off of the record sales. So now you're the it person, right? Like you're the poster child of what this is. But what we find is that even now, these people that have become great in their field are people that follow some of these people that we know in gospel music, which is why the Clark Sister movie is because you've got Queen Latifah, you've got Mary J. Blige, and I forget the other, they, it's Three Faith, I believe, have all come together to do this Lifetime movie because of the influence that the Clark Sisters have on them. So Essence Fest honored them and showed the movie and Mary is crying and I can't believe that I'm in relationship with these people that I hone my gift from. Because they all grew up in church. So Donald has been mentoring a number of urban artists. He actually started as Stephanie Mills, MD. So he has this theatrical background. He started in urban music, but of course, a church baby, and then created Tri City as this theatrical group because his first Bible stories was literally just theatrically sharing stories. So he has this whole educational theater background. So we do have these people, like Kirk, don't understand the influence he has in the urban side because you've got people that grew up in church but want to do urban music and they look at him as like their pillar. So we don't get the recognition because we don't have the unit soul that other people have based on the standard of the music industry, but they do have the respect of those people that are in high places. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Cheryl Jackson, thank you. This was awesome. This was fun. Do you feel known at this point? (laughs) I do. I do feel known. Good, yeah. good. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Social media, how can people stay in contact with you? Uh, Cheryl Jackson Radio is my personal pages on everything and Cheryl Jackson ENT Entertainment is my business page. So awesome. On all socials, yeah. Big, big, big Thank you to Cheryl Jackson and all of you for joining me today on another episode of The Life Of. If you have not already, please comment, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Please share it with a friend. You know, we're just doing this ourselves. We're trying to make a podcast for the people, by the people. It's a FUBU podcast. We're not, they're not paying us, but you know what I mean. 
this is we, we're just trying to do this on on the love, man. Just to let people know that uh, regardless of how gifted you are, how great you are, and you are great, you are gifted, you are blessed, and all of those amazing things. But we're people at the end of the day, and we all have a story to tell. So please, if you're sharing it with somebody, please hashtag the life of the life of and let me know, man. I'm on social media. I talk back. Talk to me. I'm at the life of K A Y. Let me know what you think about the podcast, who you want on the podcast, what questions you may want answered, what kinds of people, what you love about it, what you think could be a little better about it. I would love to hear your feedback, man. This is your podcast. I want to give you the best product I possibly can. So let me know what you think. I'm, I'm waiting to hear from y'all. So until next time, I love y'all and um, talk to you next time. Later. <laughs>